Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How are we doing today? Great to see you. And my two cents to a happy Father's Day. We'll be talking about the summon and the message today and some of the application, but I'm just so good to be with you. And I have a couple things that I just want to highlight before we go into this time of teaching. One is really sort of a, a word of exhortation, encouragement. And um, the other one, though, is just kind of a, a informational. So I'll start with the informational. Uh, inside your program, you received uh, today, as you came in, uh, we, we're, uh, you have a, a flyer for the Israel study tour. And so, uh, you know, the, this is something we've done for many years now, is usually once a year, sometimes twice a year, we'll go to uh, Israel. And uh, I like to call it Adventure Israel. We go lots of places where others group, groups don't go. We, we, uh, we, we hike the land. It's kind of uh, it's a lot of fun. We go through caves. It's just very amazing. But what's most important is just a time of deep spiritual encounter with the Lord. And it just never ceases to amaze me. I know we went back in March this year, and uh, usually about a month or six weeks after, we'll have a reunion of everyone. Hey, what does God do in your life? And the stories of transformation have truly, I, I think this year, as much as any year, have just been incredible. And so uh, I know that that's, you know, for, for uh, some of you, that the Lord will have your name on that. So uh, inside are the dates. We're going again next March. And uh, uh, as of right now, like we, we limit it to about uh, 50 guests and four staff. And the reason is we want to just be in one bus because we want to move quickly. We don't want to spend all our time in gift shops or, or, uh, or bathrooms or whatever. So we limit it to one bus. And so that means that there's about 50 spots every, every year for you to sign up. I know that as of, uh, you know, like Thursday, there was like 16 taken. There's like 34 left or something like that. So I just want to highlight that for you. If you're, there's, if you're interested, you can go on, online. If you have more questions, feel free to, you can email my assistant, Mally Galloway, uh, or email me, and um, we'll get that information to you. But uh, that's, that's number one. The second is just sort of a word of exhortation. Uh, it, and uh, this really flows out of Dre's message last week. You know, last week I was here on Saturday night on uh, front row when Dre was teaching. And it's so good for me, like, to be here when I'm not teaching. Uh, it's just, it's, it's awesome just to be here and experience the service. And one of the things that I, you know, as so I was listening to Dre teach, and he did an amazing job, you know, as usual, just a fantastic job. But one of the things that struck me is how easy it is when you're sitting in a congregation to just sit and to take in the message and kind of evaluate it to, um, to like, oh, that's a really good point. But almost like you're going to a classroom and you're just kind of sitting and interesting and then to go home and forget it. And what struck me as I was sitting there was like, it was like the Lord was reminding me, when we come together as a church of Jesus, like Jesus is here. Like what we're doing right now is not going to church. That's right. We're coming into the presence of God together, right? And, and we're, we're opening the word to hear from our King. And, and what happens here, it should be the start of our week, not the end of our week. What happens here is we come before our king to get our marching orders. And then we go and carry it out. Amen. And I think there's always this temptation just to, oh, that was a good service. Oh, that was a great message. That's not what this is about. Like, we don't come to be entertained. We, we come like a football team at a huddle to come and learn the play to go out and win the game, right? We come back next week to say, how did that go? What's the next play for the next, are you with me in this? Yeah, and so, um, 
Yeah, it was, it was so beautiful because last night we, we, had some, uh, we were with some friends out of town that used to go here and we went up to dinner with them and they were just saying how amazing it was to, to be here. But she, the, the wife was talking about before the service began that she was in the bathroom and uh, there was two women talking about last week's message with Dre. And, and this woman was saying, yeah, you remember Dre asked us, she was just, you know, Dre uh, asked us to kind of think through these three questions last week. And so my husband and I have been discussing and praying through those three questions every day this week. Awesome. It's like, that's what it's about. That, that's why we come. We come to be transformed. We come to meet Jesus. We're not coming to church to check off us, you know, check our thing. Are you with me here? We, we are coming to do spiritual work together, right? Like when we come together, this is like going to a counselor's office. It would be a waste of time to go to a counselor to have that counsel and then to go home and do nothing about it until next week, right? And so I just wanted, it was just so beautiful for me to be here. And to be sitting under Dre's teaching and taking notes. And then it was like, but just realizing the temptation that happens every week to listen and to like, but not to listen and to follow. And we're not, we're not coming to go, th- to go through the motions. We're coming here to sit at the feet of Jesus, our King, and say, what are you saying to me and now this week, I'm going to go out and I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow so I can be transformed. Are you with me? Okay. That's for free. That has nothing to do with today's topic, all right? But uh, God was just working on me during worship. We'll talk more about that next week. But anyway, uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching, like, round two, all right? So I almost wish like to have you stand up and greet one another again so you won't get bored. But uh, Anyway, let's, let's pray together and then we'll jump in. And so Jesus, we come and we acknowledge that as your word says in this very letter that we're, we're reading today, that, that, when the, that when we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus and, this, and the power of the Lord is present, and, and it's love that. When we gather in the name of Jesus and the power of the Lord is present, and we acknowledge, Lord, that your leadership here that we have gathered, and, and Lord, we just want to say to you that we're, we've not come today to go through the motions. We, we've not come today to earn spiritual brownie points. We've come today to hear from you so that we know our assignment for this week. And so we pray that you'd speak loud and clear. I pray that, that you would just flow through me. I pray that there would be great freedom as I teach. I pray for us as a church that we would gather around your word with holiness and reverence on our knees, waiting to hear from you. And we pray that you would speak, and you'd speak the name of Jesus over our lives as we worshiped today. And we pray in your name, amen. amen. Well, our story today starts in the spring of the year. They've been on the road for a while, and... Uh, this part of the country they're passing through is absolutely beautiful. Being the spring, uh, the, the rains have come and the hills are covered with uh, kind of the, the beautiful bright green grasses of spring. The, the wildflowers are in full bloom. The sky is, is blue. It's just absolutely majestic. 
But, but on this morning, um, they're not really thinking about the beauty of the landscape or even the trip, that these two men have been talking for some time now uh, about a plan that's been hatching in their minds, kind of a strategic plan to, to prepare for their future. And, uh, and, and they know that over the last you know, few weeks, they've been kind of debating uh, when, when to launch this plan. They know that to launch it too soon could be disastrous, could backfire, but, but to wait much longer, it could be too late, and they could miss this golden opportunity. And so as they're, they're beginning to draw close to their destination, it will just be a few more days now, they, they've discussed it at breakfast, and they said they think that, that today is the day. If, if the opportunity presents itself, today is the day. Of course, the trick is, is they're going to have to look for an opportunity to get their, the leader of their team alone so they can ask him the question that has the power to change the trajectory of their lives forever. Well, today we're continuing in this series that we've been in the last couple months. It's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome to you. you know, every week God's bringing new people, and I look forward to meeting you. But, uh, but for those of you who are new, th- this series, is, it's an in-depth study of one of the most important letters in the New Testament. It's a, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christ followers uh, in, in the city, the ancient city of Corinth, which is in southern Greece, very strategic cosmopolitan city in the Roman Empire, about 80 to 100,000 people. And, uh, and so uh, last week, Dre, Dre kind of took us on his journey through the, the first four verses of chapter three. Today, we're going to continue that journey. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and uh, turn to chapter three. And there in your note sheet, there's a section that's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross-Spiritual Leadership. And before we jump into the passage, I want to set it up. Um, so, so what we've seen in this series, if you've been here, you know this by now, is that, is that when, when Paul first came to Corinth with this radical message of Jesus and his cross, that, that uh, the Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way. And many people came to Jesus and they, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and, and on top of that, the Holy Spirit began to pour out a wide array of, of very impressive supernatural spiritual gifts. And, and as a result of this, the Corinthians have this tendency to see themselves as, as very wise and very spiritual. Remember a couple of weeks ago, panumatikos. They see themselves as the spiritual ones. And one of the reasons is because through these kind of supernatural gifts of knowledge and wisdom and so on, that they, they, they have this special, they kind of, they're, they're growing in spiritual knowledge, certain kinds of spiritual knowledge. And so they tend to see themselves as very wise, very spiritual. But as we saw last week in the opening verses of this passage, that Paul says that's not the case, that actually you're very immature. That as we've seen through this whole series, that they're really following kind of the vision, the values of their culture, rather than the vision and values of Jesus and his cross. And, and one of the ways that, that uh, this is evident is in the way that they're, they're dividing over their spiritual leaders in the church. Remember, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of 
Peter, the, the way they're dividing uh, as if uh, these were like secular leaders of their past, that they, the kind of secular f- philosophical leaders that you would divide over and squabble over to show who is the wisest. And so Paul says, hey, the reality is you're not panumatikos, you're really following the flesh, you're really like spiritual babies. And so, uh, so this raises the issue that Paul wants to address of spiritual leadership and the role that spiritual leadership plays in our life, how we should how we should look at our spiritual leaders, and and when God puts us in a place of spiritual leadership, uh, what does it look like for us to to lead that out well, so that when Jesus returns, He'll say, "Well done." Uh, and rather than having all of our kind of works sort of burned up because they're they're sort of worthless, and so um, so with that, we'll jump in. And so in verse, uh, and by the way, and so what Paul's going to do, in fact, he's going to talk about the spiritual leadership, not only in chapter three, but in chapter four. So we'll, we're going we're gonna to talk about spiritual 101 today, but we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks and talk about 201 or 102 or something like that. But in this passage, he's going to use himself and Apollos as sort of a case study of how they should look at spiritual leadership. So remember, they were separating, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Paul. So Apollos was a, a very gifted teacher who came to Corinth after Paul left. He was actually a colleague of Paul. In fact, it, it, it's very likely from what we'll see later in the letter that he is w- with Paul still in Ephesus as Paul writes this letter. Um, and so he's a respected colleague, and so he's going to use, uh, Paul's going to use himself and Apollos as a case study of like, how should we look at spiritual leaders, what's their role in our life. And so he says in verse 5, what after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? You know, how should we look at these leaders? He says, they're only what? Okay, that's going to be a key word today, so you're going to underline that, right? So that they're only servants through whom you came to believe. And so God used them in a powerful way in your life, but ultimately they're servants. And he says, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. And so he says, when, when you have spiritual leaders, um, that they're going to have different callings, they're going to have different giftings, and the Lord is going to give different leaders different assignments. So as we'll see later, that, that kind of, uh, the lead, spiritual leaders are all on the same team, we're, on, uh, we're all on team Jesus, all the same goal, but, but, uh, but when you step into a role of spiritual leadership, there'll be specific assignments for you based on how he's gifted and his calling in your life, and, and we'll be evaluated on that, right? So... He says, so, so for example, he's going to use he and Paul. So he said, I planted the seed. So if you compare the gospel to like a seed planted in the ground, Paul says, when I came to Corinth, I was the first to come with the message of Jesus. And so I was like a farmer planting seed. So he's going to use an agricultural metaphor here. He's going to start with the agricultural metaphor. And of course, you have to plant the seed, you have to water. So he says, you know, I planted the seed, but then Apollos came later and he says, and he, he watered. So that was his job. He says, but it's God who's making it grow. Right, so, so, one, so, so here's how it works. Yeah, yeah, leaders play an important role because you can't have a harvest without someone planting. You can't have a harvest without someone watering, but the one who's really the star of the show is God because he's the one that makes it grow. You know, I was thinking about this during worship, and we'll talk more about this next week, but you know, like, like I said, when we gather together, God is here, and then God is going to be speaking. He's going to be speaking through, and, and during worship, I felt like the Lord was just putting this on my heart, you know, that... 
that obviously God's called me to a place of spiritual leadership here at Rocky Peak. And so many times when I meet you, you'll talk, you know, you'll come and say how God has used me and your life to open up truth or to grow and so on. And I'm so thankful, but it's just super encouraging. So keep it up, you know, it's, it's good for the bad days. Uh, so I really appreciate that. But the, here's the reality. The reality is that I could give the best message in the world, but unless Jesus quickens it to your heart and opens your eyes, it's just nothing. And the thing is, with spiritual leaders, we have a tendency because God works through them. Like I think of spiritual leaders like we're the water pipe of the living water. And, and because, you know, because you go to the pipe to get the living water, we tend to confuse sometimes spiritual leader with God because this is how God speaks to us. But the reality is it's about God. And when, when you come to me and you say, hey, um, when you were speaking, I felt like you were just speaking to me. I don't know why anyone else was there which happens all the time when I'm teaching or Dre's teaching or whoever's, whoever is teaching. When that happens, what, what's really happening is that, that one is planting, one's wanting, but God is giving growth. That God is opening. And so this is that we tend to put our spiritual leaders on pedestals. Right? We tend, and the reason is because when God works through them, we associate the power with them. Are you with me? But without, without, without the work of the Holy Spirit, it's just seeds go in the ground and they die there. Like I have no ability to make things come alive for you. All I can do is share what the Holy Spirit's put in my heart to share, but it's God who gives the growth. And it's so important that we keep things in perspective. And so here's this group of people, these Corinthians, they're not keeping things in perspective. They think that their whole spirituality and their journey depends on which leader they choose. And it's like, no, no, you guys have this all backward. That's the way the world thinks. That's the way culture thinks. That's not the way Christians think. And so he says, um, see why I need to come to church, right? See, I need to be in worship. Because all that just came during worship, right? None of, that, none of that was in my notes. See, when God, when we come together, the Lord is here. And we need, to, like, what is he saying to you? What's he doing in your heart during worship? What's he doing in your heart during the word? That's what you need to be paying attention to. All right, so, so he says in verse eight, he says, so the one who plants and the one who waters, remember like him and Apollos, they have one purpose. They're not in competition, they're both serving Jesus, and the whole goal is to have a rich harvest. And so they play a different role, but they're on the same team. And he says, but they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. They, they, each of when you're in spiritual leadership, God will hold you accountable for how well you have led. And he said, for we're, we're, we're God's, we are co God's co-workers. You know, we work with him. We work for him. But you are God's field. The church, the church there in Corinth, the new community of Jesus, you're like the field of God. That's what this is all about. It's about you. It's about the harvest. And he says in verse, uh, he says, and now, now he's going to introduce his second metaphor. So Paul likes to mix his metaphors. This time he's not really mixing. He's just giving a second one. But but he, the first metaphor is you're like God's field. Like I planted water, God gives the growth. The next metaphor is going to be building a building. 
So the church of Jesus in Corinth is like God's building that's being built. Now, next week, we'll learn it's a specific kind of building. Next week, we'll learn it's a temple that God is building. But that's for next week. But for today, he just starts, he says, okay, let's, you're like a building. And he says, so, so, you know, now we're changing the metaphor. No longer, Paul says, am I planting seed in a field? Now I'm laying a foundation for a building. And so he said, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and now someone else is building on it. So he's been away for three years, and these new leaders are rising up uh, to lead the church and to... Uh, to build on top of the foundation that he laid. But he's sort of firing a warning shot over the bow. That they, he, hey, when God puts you in a place of spiritual leadership, you need to be careful how you build. And these leaders are kind of taking the church back to the vision and values of their culture, not the vision and values of Christ and his cross. And so he's going to challenge them. And he says, each one should, verse 11, each, or end of verse 10, each one should build with care. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so Paul had laid the foundation of Jesus and his cross and all the implications that flow out of that. And he says, so if anyone builds, like the, a new leader there in Corinth, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, of course, that's what you should be building with. We'll see in a minute. Things that endure, endure. Uh, versus wood, hay, and, and straw, which are not great building materials. He says, because the, um, he says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, notice capitalized, he's talking about the day of the Lord when Jesus comes back, will bring it to light. So he says that, hey, as you're building this community there, leaders, you need to be building with, with uh, not with kind of wood, hay, and straw that's gonna burn up at the final judgment when Jesus comes back. And kind of that, that, uh, that, you know, one of the most common metaphors for judgment in the Bible is fire. You see, you, you need to be building with the right building materials. You know, as you're teaching people, you need to be teaching them really truths that flow out of Jesus and his cross, not out of culture. And he says um, in verse um, uh, 13, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will reveal the quality of your leadership. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So in the ancient world, fire was a big deal. In fact, uh, I mean, it's kind of a big deal in Southern California here, right? We've got the four seasons, and it's like, you know, winter, spring, fire, and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> winter, spring, summer, fire. And so it's kind of big for us here, too. Um, but in the ancient world, uh, fire was a huge problem in cities because there's no building codes. Um, that things were often built very ramshackly together. And so when a fire would start, you know, they would have no modern fire equipment to put it out. And fires could rage for days and level uh, whole sections of a city, uh, even up to more modern times. Like I was looking up yesterday, the great fire of London, you may have heard of, was in 1666. And that fire raged for five days in the city kind of leveling the entire city within the ancient Roman walls of, of London. And in a similar way, this happened in the ancient world. Like in, in Rome, Rome would often have major fires. Like when, when Emperor Nero came around in the 60s AD, there was a major fire that leveled most of the city, and he needed a scapegoat, and he chose the followers of Jesus to begin persecuting them 
uh, uh, surrounding them, uh, putting them in the Colosseum to fight the animals, uh, gladiatorial fights, even like dipping them in oil and putting them up and burning them alive uh, for, for his feasts, his, his torches. And so uh, fire in the ancient world was a big, a big deal. And so Paul's working with this analogy that this fire of judgment is, like, is kind of like a like a building that's in a city that's on fire that reveals the quality of what has gone into that building. And so he says in verse um, 14, if what has been built survives the fire, the builder will receive of a reward. And, and that we know this from the first century, that sometimes this was part of a contractor's contract, that if there was a fire and your building survived it, you would receive uh, like a bonus for that, because it showed that you had used the right materials, you built well. And so Paul seems to be working with that analogy. And so he says, um, it, um, but if it's burned up, if the building is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet he will be saved even though as the one escaping through the flame. So he says to these, these leaders that are true believers in Corinth, um, but they're kind of rising to a place of spiritual leadership, he says, you need to build well uh, in, the, in the church because when you come back, Jesus is going to evaluate your work like with fire. And if you're, you're building, kind of your, your, if it survives, then you'll be rewarded for that, for your leadership. Um, but if it doesn't, uh, you'll be like a person, whose house is, a person whose house is on fire and all they have time is to run out before the building collapses and you can't take anything with you. So your, your life will be a waste. Yes, you'll be saved, um, but your, your life will have been a waste. You'll have nothing to show for it, right? So, that, so that's the passage. Now, like I said, next week he's gonna go on and he's gonna talk more about, um, he's, gonna more t he's gonna talk more about this building that, is being, that God is building uh, in Corinth. It's gonna be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's gonna be a very powerful passage next week. But we're gonna stop there for today. And what I wanna do today in the time that we have is, is I want to uh, focus on kind of three key uh, principles uh, about uh, leadership. I'm calling this Leadership 101. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we'll come back and do Leadership 102 or Leadership 201. We'll say kind of what we'll call it. But, um, but this is like in these two chapters, chapters three and four, he's talking a lot about leadership. And, and of course, he's talking a lot about spiritual leadership. Um, but, but these principles of spiritual leadership kind of apply to any, any type of position, any place in your life where you're a follower of Jesus that he puts you in leadership, like whether it's in ministry or whether it's even uh, like you own a business or you, uh, you're, you're a school teacher um, or you, uh, are, uh, you know, have some other kind of leadership, you, you lead a team at, uh, on the job, uh, any kind of leadership, and maybe in the community, you lead a little league team or a sports team or whatever, that anytime God puts a follower of Jesus Jesus into a leadership role, whether it's inside the church or outside, these principles are going to apply. So the first principle is my own, uh, and then the second two are going to come from the Apostle Paul in this passage, all right? So there in your notes, you have the section, um, Christ, Culture, and the Church, Leadership 101, and, and kind of three principles. So before I give you this first principle, I want to ask you a series of questions, right? So... Um, so I, what I want you to do is respond to these questions. This is like uh, everyone responds, all right? So um, the, you, I'm going to ask you to respond by raising your hand. Now, I promise I will not embarrass you, all right? Um, but I'm going to ask you a series of questions, 
Um, and, and, then, um, and then when we get done, I'm going to give you the principle, all right? So, um, I, so, and the other thing is, no false humility here. We're in church. You have to tell the truth, all right? You know, I go, oh, I don't want to raise my hand. People will think I'm trying to be something. Just very, just straightforward, like we're at, we're at Starbucks. I'm just asking this question, right? So, so here's the first question. Uh, how many of you see yourself um, as, in some aspect of your life, how many of you see yourself as a leader? Could I see your hands? Okay, a ton of hands. Okay, so, okay let, second question. Um, how many of you see yourself uh, as a, um, well, you've, if you've already raised your hand once, you don't have to raise it again, all right? So, um, so, so how many of you um, see yourself, uh, it, you, you didn't answer that question, but it, like if I broaden this out, and I say, okay, now let me define what I mean by a leader. So let's say that you're, you're a life group leader. Let's say that you lead a small group for the high school or middle school. Let's say that you lead a team in first impressions. Uh, let's say that you lead uh, uh, the Mexico uh, house building trip. You're the leader of that. And so, let's, so I'm kind of broadening this out, right? And so, um, but you didn't, for whatever reason, you didn't raise your hand initially because you didn't think of that as leadership. But can I see the hands of, you'd say, yes. Okay, now that you put it that way, yes, I would see. Can I see how many more hands go up? Okay, a couple. All right, great. Um, let me ask you this way. So uh, now we're going to broaden it out a little bit more, right? Because one of the th many of the most important types of leadership are informal leadership. They're, they're not like on a flow chart, right? They're not going to be on a flow chart uh, in your business. They're not going to be on a flow chart uh, in your ministry. Um, and yet they're some of the most important um, important uh, roles of especially spiritual leadership in the world, right? So let me ask you this. How many of you are husbands? Can I see your hand? If you haven't raised your hand before, you great, okay. Uh, uh, how many of you are uh, parents, right? Okay, raise your hand. Remember, you only have to do it once. I'm not calling anyone out for being cheating. I'm just saying, uh, just to the rules. Okay, uh, uh, how many of you... Um, how, how many of you uh, have, are, have, you've not raised your hand yet, but you've, you've found yourself in a mentoring or discipleship leadership role where you've, you've mentored or discipleship? Didn't see any, okay, a few there. Okay. Now, okay, so you can kind of see where I'm going. That often when we think of leadership, we think, uh, especially, you know, we think of something like, oh, that's pastors, right? That that's, oh, that's uh, life group, that's business owners, um, that, that's this sort of thing. And of course, those are re recognizable roles of leadership, but we often don't think of the informal roles of leadership that we play. So for example, I was talking with my wife about this last night uh, after the service, and we were talking about the message, and she said, yeah, do you remember back when we were at kind of previous ministry, and I was lead we were leading this large singles ministry there, um, and, and so in that, that summer, I took like 200 of our leaders from that ministry, um, and we, we read the book uh, 21 Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. And, and she, you know, she was part of that experience. And so she said she was asking, she was like, why am I doing this? Like, I, I'm a mom. Uh, I, I'm not able to work any longer because of disabilities. So why am I reading this book on leadership? But what the Lord began to show her is like, you are a leader. Like, you are, you are a mother. You're the leader of your home, right? You're leader of your children. You are mentoring people. And so the, she said it was like life-changing for her to begin to see the roles of leadership that God had actually assigned to her, but she didn't think of herself as a leader. Are you with me? 
Okay, so, so now we're ready for principle number one. So principle number one is that everyone is a leader. Everyone is a leader. Now you, now you may say, no, I don't, apply, I, don't, I don't fit for any of those things. I've never, but well, chances are you will. Uh, and there may be a few people here that, I don't know, maybe it's possible, but I think in general that, that all of us sooner or later in our life are gonna find ourselves in a position of leadership, whether it's formal leadership uh, in the church of Jesus, leading a team, leading a ministry, leading a life group, leading students or whatever, or, or whether it's, it's a formal place of leadership in the community or in our career, we, we lead a team or a teacher or something, or that it's very in, super informal, like like you're, maybe you're mentoring someone or you're discipling, that most of us are going to find ourselves at some point in our life in a position of leadership. And when we do, it's important that we don't lead like the culture, that we lead like Jesus and his cross. Amen. Amen. And so now we're ready to see the insights the apostle Paul gives us. So number two, so number two, uh, the first principle that he gives is so powerful is leaders are servants, not celebrities. When God puts us in a place of leadership, leaders are servants and not celebrities. And, and this is a basic difference between we look at leadership in the community of, a, of our king and leadership outside the community. Um, what was happening is that the, the Corinthians, they seem to be approaching church like they would approach their, their previous kind of learning gatherings, or they called them colleges or whatever, where they would gather to listen to their favorite philosophers. And so in the ancient world, there were many different times of philosophy, but just like two or three examples, there was like Epicureans, right? The Epicurean philosophers. There were uh, Stoic philosophers. Uh, there were uh, uh, philosophers we call cynics, which meant something a little different than we'd mean today, but the cyn cynics or cynicism, right? And so, so in ancient Corinth or in the ancient world, you'd be like a follower of Zeno or you're a follower of this Pythagoras or you're a follower, you, you'd be a follower of different kinds of, uh, philosopher, of uh, philosophers. You might be, see yourself as a disciple and these they often have angry debates and and so you'd have to, you kind of separate. No, I'm not an Epicurean. I'm a Stoic and I follow this person, right? And it seems like they have taken that mentality and brought it into the church. Remember, in the ancient world, there were no churches. There were no churches. If you've been in Corinth, you've never heard of a church, chances are. You've never seen a church. And so what's a church? Well, you get together for these meetings. It's kind of like one of our colleges meeting we used to go to. And so they, they seem to be approaching uh, their new, this new community of the king in the same way that they used to approach their philosophers. And the way you'd, you'd have to kind of pick your favorite philosopher and you, you'd argue for them because this was the way you showed how wise you were, that how you, you were with the winning team. And they seem to be bringing this into the church. Right? and thinking of leadership in the way of culture rather than of Jesus. And so the very first thing that Paul is going to say is you need to change the way you think of leadership. You can't think of leadership like you're used to, these celebrities you follow, this famous philosophy you follow. You need to think of them as servants, servants of Jesus. And so this is what he says there on your note sheet. The very first verse we read today, what after all is Apollos... What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. They're the pipe that delivers the living water. 
uh, and as the Lord has assigned to each task. So there, these, these different, like Peter, um, Paul, um, Steve, uh, of, of Apollos, they're not in competition trying to win followers to themselves. That they have different tasks and different messages, but they're, they're all complementary. And, and so we, we, like he'll say in a couple weeks, like you don't have to choose that all things are yours. Like you don't have to choose like, well, I, I'm a follower of Peter. Like, well, Peter's got some great insights, but so does Paul and so does Apollos. And you don't have to choose between them. You, you get them all. They're, they're all yours. If you're in Christ, they're, they're all yours. These are all God's gifts to you, right? And so this idea that leaders are servants, not celebrities, of course, it doesn't come initially just first from Paul. It comes from Jesus himself. And this takes us back to the story that we started the day with. You know, we started the day about this beautiful spring scene with the green, the green hills of grass and uh, the yellow, the, the, the wildflowers. And, and this is uh, kind of a scene from the life of Jesus. And it's very vivid in my mind. Because, because it happened in the spring, and we just came back from Israel in the spring, and it's exactly how it looks, you know, just the green hills and the beautiful wildflowers. And, and so they're, they're traveling, they're, this, Jesus and his, his men are traveling south to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and what his men don't know is that this is the last Passover, that when he gets there, that, that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be executed, and so they seem to think that he's going there to unleash his power, his supernatural power on Rome and bring in the long-promised kingdom of God. And so, of course, for his disciples, this is going to mean power, prestige, possessions, popularity, right? And, and so two of his disciples, uh, James and John, their brothers, but they're, they're also part of the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. So this, this, this request is going to make more sense. They, they decide like, hey, we need, to, we, need to start, we need to get Jesus alone at some point in his journey. And we need to ask him for the top two seats at the table in his new administration. Like, I, I want Secretary of State. What do you want? I want Vice President. Like, we... When he's going to need some new rulers, and, and what's going to come from us 12, we know that. And so, but we need to get them alone and ask for the top two seats at the table. And so, so of course, that's what they do. On this particular day, they finally, it's, it's the time. I'm sure they've been thinking about this a while. So they, they get them alone, and they make their ask. And, of course, the other 10 find out about it, and they're, and they're furious. It's like a kind of a bald, uh, bold political move you know, for power. And they're, they're really upset, maybe because they didn't think about it. Who knows? But, but they're in your note sheet. Um, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're really angry. And so Jesus recognizes, hey, this is a teachable moment about leadership in, in my kingdom and how leadership in the new community of Jesus really is different from leadership in the world. Like leadership following Jesus is different than leadership and culture. And he says, so he called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, so, you know, those who don't know God, he said, they, they lord it over them. They, they, like to, they, they like to kind of push people around and show how powerful they are. So think of this, like their leaders would be like King Herod, uh, like Pontius Pilate. We know, he says that that's kind of how they operate. And he said, uh, on top of that, then their high officials that report to them, they exercise authority over them. He says, but not so with you. He says that, that in, the, in culture, the reason you ascend to leadership is so you have power, you have perks, you have prestige. You, you can kind of use people for your own means. 
He said, but my kingdom, that's not what leadership is about. And he says, he goes on and he says, uh, instead, whoever wants to be great among you, and that's what they're wanting. We, they, hey, we want to rise to power. We want to be great. He says, okay, that's good. You want to do it? You want to be great? Great. But let me tell you the path to greatness. And he said, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your what? Your servant. There it is. And, uh, and whoever wants to be first must be the what? Slave of all. And remember, this is a world in which 30% of the Roman Empire are slaves. That this is not like for us, like, oh, you have this conceptual idea of slave. No, it's a real, it's a world, it's how radical this would have been. Like, what? To be great, to rise in the kingdom, to be seen as great, that, that we humiliate ourselves and we put ourselves under others and, and serve them. Had to be shocking for them. Um, but in the kingdom, that's what about, I want you to catch this, in the kingdom, when God puts you in a position of leadership, I don't care if you're a school teacher, you're a business owner, you uh, lead a high school small group, you're a life group leader, you're a pastor, you're on staff here at Rock, I don't care what your position of leader, you, you run a program group and your, your job, as a follower of Jesus, when God puts you into leadership, that leaders, uh, leaders exist for the sake of followers, not vice versa in the kingdom. In the world, leaders exist for themselves, and the followers are what they use to achieve their agenda. But in the kingdom, in, in the cross, that when God puts us in a place of leadership, formal or informal, it's not about us. God has put us there so we can serve others. Are you with me in this? Right, so I love what David, David realized just in the Old Testament. You know, King David, God raised him to power, and it, it took a while. You know, it's like seven years, a king of the south, and then it took, you know, the, a lot of fighting, a lot of kind of conquering of the nations and his enemies. But at the end of that, in 2 Samuel 5, it says, then David knew that the Lord, of course, all caps means Yahweh. David knew that Yahweh had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom, kind of given him all his victory and success for the sake of his people, Israel. David realized it's not about me, it's about those I lead, right? And so, so anytime God raises us to a position of leadership, formal, informal, that, that if we're going to serve in the way of Jesus and his cross, not the way of culture, we recognize it's not about us. It's about those we lead. And that leads to number three. So the second, second principle that Paul gives, I know it's third on our sheet, but his second, is that Jesus is the ultimate model of this. That, you know, when Jesus came, he not only taught this principle, as we just read, but he modeled it. In fact, uh, and of course, he modeled it all through his life, and he, and, and he kind of acted this out. You remember the very last night he was with his men, he acted this out by, by doing something that was unthinkable and horrifying in their sight, where he took off his outer robes at the Last Supper and stripped down like a servant and humiliated himself by washing their feet, something that no Jewish man would do. It's too beneath him. And so he was illustrating to them his heart all along, 
But that act was also pointing to the ultimate illustration of his service, which was going to come the next day on the cross. So the cross is the ultimate illustration of leadership as service. So this is exactly what Jesus said in that conversation with his men about the slave, you know, become the slave of all. The very next thing he said in that conversation there in your note sheet is in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man, which is his favorite name for himself, he, even the son of man, he didn't come to be served. Remember, God, even God who became man, didn't come to be served, but to serve and the ultimate service was to give his life as a ransom. So we, we understand. So when we, we talk about this, that one of the things I've talked about in this series that I want to keep drawing us back to is, remember, we look at the cross, and we tend to look at the cross as something we look back to as Christians, the place of our redemption, the place of our salvation, the place of our forgiveness, or as, Paul, as Jesus said, the place of our ransom where Jesus paid the ransom price to ransom you and I from sin and from the kingdom of darkness and from destruction and death, right? So we look back at the cross as a place of ransom. And of course, that's true. That's foundational. That's the message of Jesus, right? It's true. But what we often miss is that the cross is not just something we look back to. The cross points the way forward. Right? The, the, the cross, for the Christian, the cross says, this is the way to life. This is the way to resurrection. Like, I've come to give you life and life to the full, but that life to the full always comes through death, a death to ourself. And so what you see in the New Testament is whether, whether the, the apostles are talking about how we're to treat one another or they're talking about leadership, the ultimate example of that is always going to be Jesus. And the ultimate example of Jesus serving as a leader is the cross. In fact, uh, one of the passages we looked at earlier in this series was in Philippians chapter one. Remember, it was, it was like week three. We talked about how unity has to be our top priority. We talked about living a life that's worthy of the gospel and how in the New Testament, when Paul describes what does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel, that more often than not, he talks about unity, making unity our top priority. And we look there on your note sheet, in Philippians 1.27, remember, Paul's in prison in Rome, and he says, whatever happens to me, so he doesn't know if he's going to be executed or released. He says, well, whatever happens to me, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Remember, we talked about that. And he says, so what does that look like? He says, well, then whether I, I'm released and I can come see you or I can just hear about you in absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Right? Striving together for the gospel. So he says, hey, you need to live life worthy of the gospel. And that means make unity a top priority. But then as you move into chapter two, he describes what does it look like to, to live a life that is worthy of Jesus. And he begins to get very practical. And these are principles that are going to apply to us just in our everyday relationship with others. But also they apply to us as leaders in our role of leadership. And so look what he says. He says in chapter two, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Can we just stop there? That describes the Corinthians to a T. It's exactly what they were doing. It's why they were dividing over leaders. It was because of, of selfish ambition. 
Like who's the wisest? Who's the smartest? Who's the most spiritual? And it was because of vain conceit. We are. We're the panumatikos. You see? We follow Peter. Like because he, he's the real deal. He knew Jesus. You know, he's the rock. You know, we follow Paul. He's the one that the, the Holy Spirit revealed about the Gentiles coming in, right? So and so he says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. And again, this is not just for this is not just for our relationships with one another. This is when we step into leadership. We we value others above yourselves, looking not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, so be like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Well, how did Jesus think? And Paul says, well, the best illustration of how he thought is the cross. And so he says, who being in the very nature God. And this is something that none of us can relate to. Or if we can, we got a problem, right? That, like, we will never understand the nth of what it's like to be God and to do what he did. We, 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 for us, we think of what it's like to be human and do what he does. Imagine, like, to be God and to do what he does, there's no way we can ever begin to, to imagine through all eternity an nth of what this means. But he's, he's God. You know, when Jesus washed the feet, at the start of that chapter in John 13, John starts it like this. Jesus, knowing that all things had come from his hands and all things were going to be in his hands. Right? He, says, do, uh, he says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage with all his privilege. And he said, so rather he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a what? A servant. There's our word. And being made in human likeness, being made in human likeness, and then being found in a, in, as a man, he went deeper. Like we can't even begin to understand the lowering of like being God to a human being. It's like us to a gnat, except on steroids, right? Like we can't even begin to understand the creator of the cosmos becoming one of us. Right. We can't even begin to understand like what that level of humility was. But then when he becomes one of us, he doesn't just become one of us. He allows us to crucify him as a criminal in the most painful and humiliating death the Roman Empire had. And he says, and being made found in appearance, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And not just any death, but to death on this despised cross. Paul says, this is the mindset of Jesus. This is how Jesus leads Remember what he said is that the path to greatness leads through the door of service. And now you see that in his life. It's because he, because he served the most. That's why we worship him as the greatest. And so this is what Paul says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place in the universe and gave him the name that above every knee, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, heaven and earth, under the earth, Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why, why do we worship him? Paul says, because he served the most. Why is he the greatest? Because he served the most. And so Jesus marks the path that any time we step into a position of leadership, formal or informal, it's not about us. It's about the people that we lead. 
And as we lead, the model is Jesus. Now, this leads to a couple important questions. So there in your note sheet, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, that Christ, culture, and the cross. So I have two questions. So the first question is, is very basic. The question is, who is God calling you to lead? Now, earlier today, I asked yourself, do you see yourself as a leader? And some of you, I was surprised, frankly, that like, I'd say most of the hands, probably more than 50 went up, which is fantastic, right? Um, but I, so I think for some of us, it's very, as we just sit here and think about this message, who do we lead? It's very obvious, you know, where we lead a team in first impressions. We, we lead... Um, we, we lead, we're a pastor at Rocky Peak. We, we're a therapist, Christian counselor in the, in the community. Um, you're, uh, you, you lead middle school students, a small group. Of, and so for some of us, the, the moment I ask this question, like who is God calling you to lead? He, like right away, certain people come to mind or certain groups. But for others of us, this is why I spent the time earlier asking about these different roles. Because often for others of us, we're slow to recognize, kind of like Lynn was, I talked about, the, the important roles of leadership that God has, catch, catch, has assigned to us. And if we don't realize who we're called to lead, chances are we won't lead well. So we need to get clear in our mind, who has God called us to lead, both formally and informally? So you're a life group leader, great. You, you've got your group, right? You've, you're, uh, you're a ministry team leader, great. You've got your uh, group. Um, but how about in the community? You're, you're a teacher, okay. You've got your class or your students. Uh, you, you, uh, you run a business, you've got your employees. You run a project team, at work, you've got that. But let's go further, right? This is informal um, because like I said before, some of the most important roles of leadership um, are the roles that are informal. So for example, this is Father's Day weekend, right? So if you're, if you're a husband, you're a father, one of the most important leadership roles in the world is, is the role of being a husband and a father. To lead your wife well as her spiritual head to lead your children well, and, and to build in their lives, not with wood, hay, and stubble, but with gold, with silver, with costly stones. You know, uh, I think, let's talk about parents. Uh, I don't know if you know this or if you've ever thought about this, but did you know that, that if you have children, that you are the primary spiritual leaders in their life? A lot of believers don't know that. A lot of believers think the church is the primary spiritual leaders in their child's life. Like, I don't know what to do with my kids, so I bring them to church, right? But I want you to catch this. If you're parents, that you are called to be the primary spiritual leaders in your child. Did you know this? Studies have shown this, that the, the most... Um, the strongest predictor of whether our children will walk well with Jesus when they, when they grow up, the strongest predictor is whether their moms and dads take Jesus seriously in their life. And catch this, not just attend church, but they need to see their moms and dads like during the week 
the way they discuss issues, the way that they, they see their, they come out, they see their parent like praying, or they see uh, their moms are spending time in the word, that they're really pursuing God, like that three-legged stool thing we talked about a lot, that that's the number one predictor. Like if you ask the question, how many people who go to church on a regular basis, their kids follow Jesus, the, the percentage is not that impressive. But if you ask the question, how many kids follow Jesus, they've seen mom and dad seriously following Jesus in their life, living it out all week long, the number is really high. Right? So the question I want you to think about is, who has God called you to lead? We can't, it's hard to lead well if we're not clear on who he's got, both formally and informally. Number two, the second question then is builds on this is, how well are you leading? One of the things we've seen today is that when God assigns us a place of leadership, this is one of the things that we'll answer to Jesus about when he comes back, right? Look there on your note sheet. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is, like when Jesus comes back, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and that fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survive... The builder will receive a reward, but if it's burned up, the builder will suffer lots, but will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. And so when Jesus comes back, we're all going to stand before him one-on-one, give an account for our life. And one of the things that we're going to be evaluated on is our leadership. And so when we're there, what we're going to find out is whether the leadership, formal and informal, have we led well, and does it, is it burned up? You know, we, yes, we are saved, but we have nothing to show, like our life has been a waste. Or do, have we led well and it's making an impact for eternity? Right. And so when you think through all the different leadership, like, first of all, how seriously do you take this, you know? Like, if you're a life group leader or host, how seriously do you take that calling? This is God's field. It's God's building. And you're going to answer for your leadership of how you lead your group. You're a mom or a dad. You are the primary spiritual. God has given you these children and trusted you to raise them for him. How much intentionality are you putting into that? You know, it's crazy. We will drive our kids all over the world. We'll sacrifice to, to get them into this sport or this club or this dance thing. We, we will, and often we'll miss church. Well, well kids will miss church well, because this uh, event becomes so important. We won't get them here to youth group in the middle of the week because their studies are so important. Like we're investing so much in what we see as success. Getting a scholarship uh, athletically, uh, getting into the right college. We will invest so much time, energy, and money getting into success that's all going to burn up. It's all going to burn. What's going to endure is their hearts. What's going to endure is their passion for Jesus. What's going to endure is do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Have you used your gifts to advance my kingdom? What is your heart's passion? 
That is what will endure. That is gold. That is silver. That is costly stones. Amen. So it's not that these other things are bad. It's that what is the priority? What takes precedence? And if there's anything that matters to you more than your son or daughter's heart burns with passion for Jesus, then, then you're, you're investing in wood, hay, and stubble. Are you with me? Right? And so it doesn't matter. Hey, you're a school teacher. I know there are limits on what you can say. We live in a crazy, upside-down world that's nutso. It is literally nutso. The world is going crazy, and as a teacher, if you're in a public school, it's limited, and you're in a very difficult spot, and I get that, but you know what? No one can stop you from praying for your students. No one can stop you loving on your students. No one can stop that. No one can stop the kingdom of God reigning in your class. You don't have to say a word. You can bring your students before Jesus. You can be praying over them, over their families. Are you with me here? That is, we, are, we are leaders of the kingdom in so many ways. And as leaders of the kingdom, men and women, we cannot afford to lead as the world leads. We need to lead not for our sake, but for the sake of those we lead. We need to lay down our lives for them. We need to invest with gold, silver, and costly stones so that when Jesus comes back, our life and leadership will endure. And we will have not wasted our life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come today, and we just thank you for the beauty of your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we're listening now. We're, we're letting, there's so many things we've heard in this message. We're letting it all go. What we're holding on to is what have you been saying to us? What has been niggling at the back of our mind? What's that question we don't want to ask? What's, what's, that, what's that truth we don't want to admit or don't want to face? And, Lord, we, we, we do not want to enter a posture of defensiveness. We want to come with a posture of receptivity. Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so, Lord, as we sing this song that celebrates your work in our life as our great refiner, we pray that you would be speaking that as we close our Bibles, as we put down our pens, that we would not be in a posture of, that was a really great message. We'd be in a posture, okay, Jesus, show me the next step. I don't wanna just listen and like, I wanna listen and follow. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.